Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. All right, let's chat about, uh, well, first and foremost, hope everybody had a great weekend. There was no hockey, so hopefully you were able to kind of get out and and, uh, get your mind off of this crappy L.A. game or this crappy California run that the team just went on. So hopefully you were able to have yourself a a solid weekend. And now let's get back into it. Uh, So the Leafs Friday night lost 2-1 to to the Anaheim Ducks, closing out the California road trip 0-2-1, collecting just one of a possible six points after a trip against three of the worst five teams in hockey. Like, outside of Willie Nylander and Jack Campbell, the team showed absolutely no spunk for the majority of that game. No effort. They're outshot mightily after the first two periods, and they came out hard in the third, sure, but where's that intensity from the start? Why can't they do that for 60 minutes? In the third period, they're outshot 13-8 to in the first, 13-8 to in the second, and then outshot Anaheim 15-2 to in the third period. Why do you have to wait until the third to really get going on that? And it's also surprising because that was night two, but back-to-back, and you had that much energy in the third period. Maybe it's because you conserved way too much in the first two by getting hemmed in your own zone and getting beat. I don't know. For me, it was like the first two minutes, the Leafs had a great, great couple shifts out of those top two lines. And then after that, it was like all ducks for the, the next period and a half. It didn't make any sense. And this Ducks team, you look at the way that their defense was that night. Like I, I legitimately saw people posting. They took a snapshot of the Ducks defensive corps and be like, there's joke names on here, right? Like, who is Juice? Who is Hapaka? Like, there's legitimately, they had five or like four or five, their entire top four defensive corps scratched. They're out that night. No Manson, no Fowler, no Good Branson, who's whatever, not that great, but still wasn't on the ice. Um, somebody else, Hampus Lindholm. So you had all four of those guys out, and the Leafs still weren't able to score? Are you kidding me? Like, how do you only get one goal on that defensive goal? I mean, like, sure, John Gibson played played well, but, like, he only, what, 16 shots for the first two periods didn't have to be anything outstanding. They just they, the, the Leafs had a terrible road trip. The offense dried up, and you know for that game, outside of a, a late goal from Nylander, you know the Leafs really did couldn't get anything going. Which is probably why the practice lines today were totally shaken up. We'll get to that in a little bit. Morgan Riley possibly returning soon to the Leafs. We need that desperately. We'll touch on that as well. But first, let's uh, let's get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so Leafs, 2-1 loss to the Anaheim Ducks. I think there was, what, maybe two bright spots in this entire game. Uh, I already talked about kind of Jack Campbell and, and how he kept this team in it. Uh, I believe that William Nylander was probably the best player in this game and probably the best player on the trip, really. Uh, he's the only player that that tried scoring in those last two games in, in L.A. and Anaheim, posted nine shots the night before and then came out, got five more shots uh, against Anaheim and, and scored the team's lone goal. He was rewarded with over 20 minutes of ice time. You know, his defensive efforts weren't going unnoticed either. 
You know, I thought that he played a pretty solid two-way game. Um, he was playing great along the wall. Uh, he had a couple of takeaways in the game as well. So a solid game out of Nylander, who's probably the only player on the ice who's not named Jack Campbell, who earned their game check last uh, last Friday. Honestly, like, it, 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 this is such a tough, demoralizing road trip. I can't remember if I said it on this podcast or I just said it in passing with a friend. I said this trip can either be absolutely demoralizing or it can be invigorating. And, well, when you only get one of six points, I think you, you got your answer there for what it was. Um, and, and a big reason why they struggled so mightily on this road trip is because they couldn't get the power play going. And that's my bad. The power play, again, 0 for 3 on the night. They had seven shots, so that's that's you know an improvement on what they had been getting through uh, in the previous few games. But again, nothing. You know, it's just become so predictable and so stale. Uh, the Leafs aren't really able to do much on their power play, which coming into the season it seemed like the power play was going to be a bread and butter type thing. And you know, for the last few weeks, it has been dried up. Zero for nine on the trip. They haven't gotten a power play goal since Tampa two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. How does a team with Marner, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Hyman, Barry, Kapanen, Kerfoot, like how does a team with this much offensive firepower, this many weapons, not score on the power play? It's terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And it was bad again Friday night. If this team wants to go anywhere, they really, really are going to have to come up with a different way to deploy this power play because what they're doing now is it's just super predictable. Uh, they're not able to get shots through to the net, really. Uh, and when they do, they're kind of weak shots, uh, and they're not posing much threat when they're on the power play. I would argue that their penalty kill over the last week and a half, two weeks, has arguably been more lethal than their power play. Like, between Kapanen going on his breakaways on the penalty kill and Hyman and Marner having copious amounts of two-on-ones, I feel like they've had more scoring chances on the penalty kill than the power play. Maybe I'll look into that and have an answer for you tomorrow if that's actually the case. But the power play has been, been bad, so that was my bad. And the ugly, just the road trip in general. Like, that was so demoralizing. You know, they needed to get points, and they failed. They just couldn't. The, the team can't get a sustainable run going at all. Like, we, coming off of last week, or the week before last, big win against Tampa, big win against Florida, got a nice conf, uh, um, Western Conference win against, out-of-conference win against Vancouver, another team that's that's you know, playoff aspirations. That's three straight wins that they had the week before against three pretty solid teams that had playoff aspirations. This Tampa Bay Lightning being a cup contender and possibly the best team in the league, and you were able to get a win over them, yet you failed to score more than three goals on your California road trip. Three goals. They're outplayed in multiple periods by these basement dwellers. You know, of the nine, we'll say ten with the overtime period that they played, I think they were outplayed in seven or eight of them. You can't have that. 
It's just a flat out. It's an ugly scar on the season after such a momentum gaining week the week prior. It was a terrible road trip for a lot of people. The offense, especially, and it sucks when your when your goaltenders give you performances like Freddie Anderson did Thursday night, getting a shutout against the LA Kings and still losing. Like Campbell did in this game against Anaheim, only giving up one goal for a majority of the game and then gave up a second and a third. But like, through two periods, if you're limiting your opponents to one goal, that you should be able, the Leafs, who are one of the highest scoring teams in the league, that should be good enough. If your goaltender only allows two goals in a game, that should be good enough to win. If you limit your opponent to two goals on the road, you should definitely be able to go out and get the full two points. Didn't happen Tuesday, didn't happen Thursday, and it didn't happen on Friday. It came away with one of six points. Failure of a road trip. All right, uh, so let's put that road trip behind us. Let's take a break, and when we come back, there's some news and notes, and we'll kind of discuss what's going on in Leafland, uh, discuss Morgan Riley, the line shakeups, and then kind of see what's going on with the playoff standings and where the Leafs stand uh, now, just a, about a month left to go in the regular season. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll get back, and we'll get into all that. All right, welcome back to the Lockdown Leafs Podcast. Mike DiStefano with you here. All right, Maple Leafs, uh, a couple of quick notes for you. Looks like Morgan Riley might be back in the lineup tomorrow night in Tampa. Uh, he is technically day-to-day. They are not saying quite yet if he's going to be able to go. He did practice today, said he felt pretty good, uh, but it's, he's going to be a game-time decision tomorrow. So, you know, the addition of Morgan Riley is going to be huge. You know, I, I think coming into the year, you know, he was a player that everybody kind of had him pegged as uh, one of those candidates to be captain between him, Tavares, and Matthews. Obviously, it ended up going to John Tavares. Pretty good pick, too. Could have went to any one of them. But Riley, I feel like right from the get-go, got shafted on the captaincy, and then he just didn't really recover. You know, he, he started off kind of on the bad foot, then he got injured, then he was trying to play through his injury, And then he really got hurt. And then now he's been out for the last two months. And this team, this defensive corps, has really struggled. And especially now that Riley and Muzzin have been out for a few weeks, you know, it's starting to to really catch up to them. And you could see that when they're losing games to, to San Jose, to L.A., to Anaheim. Now, granted, actually, the, the defense has played all right in these games, limiting them to very low-scoring games. That's kind of what they, I guess, had to do when they don't have, you know, those those uh, all-star defensemen. But Riley coming back is going to be huge. Should be good for the power play also, injecting him back into uh, the power play rotation, whether that's, you know, going to be on the second power play or the first power play. Re- regardless, he will add some life to one of those power play units when he gets back. He should be healthy, uh, and that's going to be a big addition. And then let's take a look at uh, another thing, too. Sheldon Keefe today shuffling up the deck chairs after a winless California trip. So we'll take a look at what the lines are looking like right now. So um, the top line of Matthews, Hyman, and Marner completely rejigged. Uh, Nylander is going to come up. 
And it's going to be Matthews, Hyman, and Nylander. And then the second line, Kapanen moving up to play with Tavares and Marner. Kapanen, though, playing on the left side along with Tavares and Marner. And if you recall early in the season, it did not go well. I'll be curious to see how this lineup kind of progresses over the next few days. Maybe because Kapanen's playing a lot better as of late. Uh, his confidence is is there right now. Perhaps that will allow him to play a much better game with these guys. But I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how that kind of plays out. I don't know if I would have made that that decision. But again, that's kind of the problem with the injuries that the the, the Leafs have right now. Without Ilya Mikheyev, without um, Andreas Janssen, you know, they kind of have to play some of these guys up the lineup a little bit. Now, not saying that Kapanen doesn't deserve to be a top six guy. I just, I've liked him a lot where he's been penciled in as a third line right winger with Kerfoot. Uh, I thought that he's just been a great third liner for this team, but I get it. You know, you got to try and, and change something up. So that's your second line. Third line, Engvall, Kerfoot, and Dennis Mulligan. And then Kyle Clifford, Gauthier, and Spezza is the fourth line there. So uh, that's, what we're looking at now for the new lineups, um, the only issue, too, is Kapanen seems to have been the only player in the bottom six that was producing any kind of offense, and now you're taking him off of that and putting him up into your top six. That leaves your bottom six completely barren, completely barren. So I don't know if they're just going to rely heavily and try and play these these top six players uh, both of them, you know, over 20 minutes a night. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Nylander, Matthews, Hyman, Kapanen, Tavares, and Marner are all finishing the night with more than 20, 22 minutes of ice time. And then, you know, this third and fourth line are going to kind of be limited to uh, to under under 15, and then that fourth line probably under 10 minutes of ice time. I, I would have to assume that's what they're doing because they're really, really loading up by putting Kapanen, pushing him up the lineup a little bit. Uh, and trying to inject some life into that top six that just went quiet in California. So that's that's what the lineups are going to look like tomorrow night, uh, so it seems at least, tomorrow night in uh, Tampa Bay. So let's take a look at what's going on in the Eastern Conference. So take a look at the standings board and see how this playoff race is really coming down to it um, because a lot has changed since we last took a deep look into it. You know, we've been talking about how Toronto and Florida – I've kind of been the two teams that are fighting uh, neck and neck in the Atlantic, and that's true. But now, you know, you got to start getting worried a little bit about the wild card teams because if Florida does end up getting a point or getting a win tonight, that brings them to within one point of Toronto. And now they do have a game still left that's on March 23rd. Florida plays tonight. So if they do win, we got a one point difference with a game still to play, and that'll be again on March 23rd. Here in Toronto, you got to hope that a St. Louis gets the win tonight, and then there's no longer a game in hand, and they just they're up they're up three points. That's what you want if you're the Leafs, because when you also look at uh, ROW, oh no, that's regulation ROW. Okay, so the Leafs lead the in, in ROW. I was looking at the Rangers, but still, you know, you want to get that Atlantic Division spot. Just you don't want to have to fight in the wild card. That being said, how comfortable do you feel playing one of these two teams in the Atlantic? Because Boston and Tampa are two of the best teams in the league. And Philly has quietly 
snuck into a tie with Washington at top of the Metro. If Philly wins the Metro division and then Toronto claims that first wild card slot and they have to play Washington or uh, Philly, I feel like that feels a lot better than having to play Washington, Boston, or Tampa Bay. I feel like not enough people are talking about that. Like if Philly ends up actually winning the division there in the Metro, out of those four teams, Washington, Boston, Tampa, and I guess we could throw Pittsburgh in there as well since they still have a shot, Philly's the one that I want to play. So maybe, you know, it's not all that cracked up to be to, to win an Atlantic spot. If you can get a wild card spot and try and roll through the Metro as opposed to this Atlantic with Boston and Tampa, you might be better off. Just some food for thought. So let's take a look at the wild card uh, race right now since we're talking about it. Currently, the top wild card is held by Columbus. They've got 81 points in 70 games. So Toronto does have a game up on Columbus, uh, but Columbus currently up by two points. Carolina, 79 points in 67 games. So Carolina with two games on Toronto and currently tied in the standings. Toronto, though, leading in ROW, which is the tiebreaker. Uh, So that would be interesting. Carolina still needs a goalie, though. (laughs) You know, they they really do need a goalie. And although they won a couple of games here in a row, uh, I do that's something that they should have addressed at the deadline, and it might end up costing them down the road. Uh, the Islanders have fallen out of a playoff position and out of a wild card spot for those who kind of haven't been paying attention. Yes, the Islanders, winners of just two of their last 10 games, and they've fallen out. They've got 79 points in 67 games, so technically they're tied with Carolina, but uh, based on uh, ROW and then regulation wins, and uh, the goal differential and all the other tiebreakers, Carolina is ahead of the Rangers. And if it all ended today, Carolina would be in and the Islanders would be out. Uh, the Rangers have sneakily put themselves back into a wild card race despite selling Brady Shea and picking up another first-round pick at the deadline. They even withstood the injury to Igor Shosturkin for a couple of weeks there after he got into a car accident. He returned over the weekend. Uh, I believe they lost that game, however, uh, so that's a little tough to, to to take on the chin. But still, you know, 6-4 and four in their last 10, uh, which, to be honest with you, is one of the best records. Other than Philly and Washington, that is the best record in the last 10 games out of anybody in a playoff position or in a, in a playoff race. Pittsburgh. Two and eight in their last ten. Toronto, four, five, and one. Tampa, four, five, and one. Florida, four, four, and two. Islanders, two, five, and three. Carolina, four, four, and two. Columbus, three, four, and three. So the Rangers, you know, they're they're doing good things. Shesterkin's one of the best youngest goaltenders out in the league. I think he's gonna be fantastic, and he's really keeping this team in it. Uh, and then other than that, you know, those are the five teams I think are battling for a wild card right now. We'll throw Toronto in there. And, I mean, if Pittsburgh keeps sliding, they're only up by three points on Columbus. Granted, they do have two games in hand on them. I think that they'll be firmly cemented into the playoffs. I think those three, Washington, Philly, Pittsburgh, are in. Boston, Tampa, also in. And then it comes down to Toronto 
and then these five wild card teams: Columbus, Carolina, the Islanders, the Rangers, and then Florida. Those are your pick of the litter for who are going to make the playoffs. So three of those six teams. Those are going to who who's going to be who makes it. Hopefully Toronto is one of them. And it's possible that it may be even be better off for them to get a wild card spot and flip over if Philly ends up winning that division. I'll look into that a little more. I'll dive into that into that matchup and see if that's really what we want to see. I'll do that and we'll do that eh, sometime later this week. All right, uh, let's take a break here, and then on the other side, we'll come back. I want to talk about the, this coronavirus and what that means for the NHL because there's been some news that's also come out, uh, not only in just the NHL, but sports in general and how it's affecting the sports world. So we'll do that next. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. Mike DiStefano with you. So the coronavirus is sweeping the nation, the entire world. I'm sure you are very adverse with it right now. Uh, coronavirus, a.k.a. COVID-19, uh, a, a deadly virus that's uh, getting a lot of people sick. Um, and the sports world trying to combat this. So a lot of... Uh, kind of overseas, they've kind of started to get the ball rolling a little bit. Italy has postponed all major sporting events. The Japanese Baseball League is pushing their season start date back until April. The IIHF Women's World Championships actually canceled their tournament this weekend, as did uh, Indian Wells, the tennis tournament. Um, so things are starting to get canceled, pushed back, postponed. Uh, so far, none of the major four sporting leagues in North America have done that yet. Uh, so that's, you know, uh, the MLB, the NHL, the NBA, and MLS. However, they have released a joint statement today barring any media from the locker rooms. And it seems like one-on-one requests will also not be obliged. So that's their efforts to try and uh, keep their locker rooms kind of a safe haven so that nobody gets sick. The problem is, we all know this, especially in you know sports and in these locker rooms, once someone gets sick in that locker room, they're screwed. The whole team is sick. You know, we saw this back uh, a few years ago in the NHL. The mumps really started to go around. Even as soon as the season, the flu went around, and a few, team, a few players on the Leafs got it. Remember, Willie had to miss that weekend series out in, uh, in, in Montreal because he got so sick. Um, and that was kind of a, a bug, a virus that was going around in the locker room. But this one being much more potent, uh, it's kind of a, uh, it's putting people out for a couple of weeks. So you got to try and quarantine yourself so that it doesn't get passed on to anybody else. Um, so that's kind of their way of doing things. The question is, how long before teams are playing in front of empty stadiums? At what point do they get so worried about this and worried about the public? You know, you get. 20,000 people together, you know, that's that's no good. <laughs> there are actually many places that are banning congregations over 1,000 people. We haven't seen that happen yet in North American sports. Over the past weekend, I don't know if anybody else saw this, but uh, a Syria soccer game between Juventus and uh, Inter, Inter Milan had to play without fans in a stadium. No fans. It was quiet. It was weird. It was eerie. 
Cristiano Ronaldo, soccer superstar, arguably the best player in the world, cut off the bus and was fake high-fiving fans because that's just what he's used to doing and uh, just try to, I guess, make light of the situation. But, you know, a lot of players now are even coming out and talking about how weird it is. And LeBron James in the NBA, I don't know if anybody saw this, but he actually said that he won't even play if fans aren't in attendance. Uh, here's here's that clip here. No, it's impossible. I ain't playing. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got the fans in the crowd. That's who I play for. I play for my teammates. Play for I play for the fans. That's what it's all about. So if I show up to an arena and ain't no fans in there, I ain't playing. So they can do what they want to do. Interesting. LeBron James, arguably the biggest, best athlete in sports today, says that if they they get to a point where they have to ban fans from the stands, he will not play. He does not want to play. JT had a very similar response. Let's listen to what our captain, John Tavares, had to say. I mean, I think no question you want to play with people in the building. There's a lot of circumstances that go into it. Um, I, I hate playing the what-if game because I, I truly believe and, and hope we don't get to that point. So, um, But I think, you know, it's... You know, it's obviously a big part of the game, playing in the buildings we play in with the people that can watch us play. Certainly is. I grew up a fan. Sure, you guys you guys all grew up fans too. And it would suck to, you know, if if every year my uncle used to take me to watch a Blue Jays game and that was my birthday present. And if that was this season and, and that birthday present that I look forward to every single year, the game we picked... Uh, because of what's going on with the coronavirus, and they they said, no, we're, we're not playing these games anymore with fans. Sorry, you can't come. You know, that, that as a child, I'm saying, obviously at my age, I understand why, and it, it makes sense, but as a child, that's going to suck. I would have been devastated. So it's kind of interesting how... You know, this coronavirus has really started to leak into what's going on with sports. The Olympics is going to be interesting out in Asia, in Japan, which is, you know, it's it's not obviously where, where it's originated from, originated in uh, Wuhan, China. But, you know, there are some questions starting to come out whether or not the Olympics are going to keep going. I think they've come out and said that they believe that by the time the Olympics uh kick off that things should be okay and they believe that the the sickness should die down by then uh the worst should be over by then that's what the health experts are saying uh, we can only hope you know the olympics are awesome we love the olympics everyone loves the olympics so it suck that a world pandemic such as this you know could have so much implications to it, not just for people's health, but also in the sporting world. So wash your hands, folks. (laughs) And if you're not getting, you know, high fives at games anymore or people aren't giving you sticks or, you know, don't get offended. You know, they're just, everyone's trying to, everyone's being weary of what they do. They don't want to spread any germs. So I advise everyone, wash their hands. hands (laughs) Purell go buy as much Purell too as possible 
All right, uh, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You'd subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. All right, be sure to check back in here tomorrow. We will be uh, teeing up the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hopefully by then we'll have a pretty good idea of whether or not Morgan Riley is going to be playing. But until then, keep it locked right here on Lockdown Leafs.